recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Father, we thank you for your heart for the nations. We thank you for um, this great nation. We thank you that you're at work here and in the world to advance your kingdom. And we do pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that the glory of the Lord may be seen in the nations. And Lord, as we come around your word, I ask for your Holy Spirit to, to, to manifest his presence to us. Lord, that you will anoint me as I bring it, that, Lord, you will give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us, that we would have hearts that are eager and keen to respond in faith and in obedience. Father, I pray that you will bring a stillness that only your Spirit can give. Lord, I know you're here by your Spirit. Just help us to be aware of him and what he's doing and saying to us this morning. Lord, we just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. And uh, just really uh, felt God prompt me to encourage someone to stand firm. Stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord. That's the the thought that came to me. I don't know if if it's one or more of you, but this sense that the Lord is fighting for you. Whatever the situation and circumstance you're facing, don't, don't give up. Don't think that God has given up. He is at work and he's fighting for you. Stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord. That's the scripture that comes to my mind. I want to encourage you with that. Awesome. Let me ask you a question. Assuming that you lived a very long life and you got to the end of your life, whether it's 99 or even 100 and you get a letter from the queen, which would be awesome, and you get to your deathbed, what advice would you give your children, your grandchildren, the next generation about the lessons you've learned, how to live well, how to live a good life, how to live a great life? What, what would you tell them? If you had to kind of give them three, four, five maybe pieces of advice, what would you say to them? Would you say, get a great education so you can get a great job, so you can have a great life, so you can have a better life than I did? Would you say, save your pennies, put them away, because one day you'll have a great bank balance? Would you say, whatever you do, do everything you can to buy a house in Sydney, because otherwise you won't? Would you say, look after your health because that's all you have? Would you say, be kind to your parents because they've brought you into the world and they can take you out? What what advice would you give the next generation? Because that's kind of where we're getting to at the end point of Ecclesiastes. For those of you joining us online or visiting with us today here, uh, we've been on a journey. Our, Our preaching series has been called Broken as we've been reading through the book of Ecclesiastes and asking ourselves this question. How do we as God's people live well in a world that's broken? How do we do that? What wisdom can we glean from God's word, from this book that will help us live well in this broken world? And so we've come to chapter 11 and chapter 12, which is kind of the concluding thoughts of Kohelet. And we meet again the voice of our author in chapter 11, uh, chapter 11 and 12, sorry, chapter 12. uh, and, And we're kind of getting to the conclusions of all of their thinking and all of their wisdom. So I've entitled this message, The End Game being a Marvel fan, 
Because that's really what we're talking about. It's the end game. This is the end point that this whole book has been moving to. And we'll see that a lot of the themes that we will encounter this morning have already been stated. And so in, in some ways, this is kind of wrapping up everything that the, the, the teacher, Kohelet, and the author have wanted us to take away. And so I, I, I'm hoping... God willing, God's grace enabling me to not labor these points because we've come across them over and over again. And just to remind us of these take-homes, as it were, as advice that Kohelet and the author wants us to sit with and hold on to and, and, and consider and reflect on so we can live well in this broken world. Uh, really, he, the, the big idea that holds these two chapters together is this idea of what's life really all about? What's life really all about? And in summary, it's about four things. Life is about four things. You know, what is life? Well, firstly, the first thing he tells us is that life is an adventure. It's an adventure. It's full of risk. It's full of unknowns. It's full of things that you can't control. And you see in, in verses 1 to 6 in chapter 11, he tells us uh, over and over again, that there are so many things we don't know. Verse 2, you don't know what disasters may come upon the land. Verse 5, you do not know the path of the wind. Verse 6, for you do not know which will succeed. And then he also says that in, in verse 5, you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. And you really don't know how a body is formed in a mother's womb. There's a lot in life that remains mysterious to us. And that theme has come up over and over and over again. But what he's wanting us to see here is rather than retreating in fear, rather than backing away from life, rather than going, oh, you know, it's uncontrollable, it's beyond me, I don't know, I can't understand, and disengage, he's calling on us to actually engage in life, to embrace the uncertainty, to go, yeah, okay, life is messy, it's complicated, there's a lot I don't know, but I want to embrace the risk, embrace the uncertainty, because he tells us some ways here of how to do that. The first thing we find, verse 1 of chapter 11, ships, uh, ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. In other words, invest with a long-term view in mind. Invest with a long-term view in mind. Avoid the quick fix solution that gives you the illusion that you can control your life. Avoid it. But invest long-term. Whether that is saving. You know, they say a little bit of compound interest goes a long, long way. Any financial advisor will tell you if you're investing in the stock market, don't go short term. Keep your money in there for as long as it can because even though there's ups and downs and uncertainty and it bounces all around, generally the trajectory is upward. The same if you talk to a physical trainer don't they, or, or, or a dietitian, They'll say avoid the radical rash diet, crash diet. That's actually bad for you. But do it systematically over a long term. Parenting is a lot like that. Long-term. Education is a lot like that. Take the long-term view. Invest in long-term. The second thing he also says is another financial idea here. Diversify your investments. Diversify. Because he says, look, you don't know which will succeed. Verse 6. Uh, in, 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 in the first part, in verse 2, he has in view a merchant. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. So don't put as we would say, all your eggs in one basket. Diversify, invest yourself in different things. And in verse 6, he says, sow your seed in the morning and at evening, let your hands not be idle for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that or whether both will do equally well. Diversify. 
Invest in lots of different things. Try different things. Explore different things. Give yourself fully to more than just one thing. The third thing he would say is it's a negative thing. He says, don't do nothing. Don't just sit there. Do something. Do something. And this is what he says. Whoever watches the wind, verse 4, will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. And in verse 6, we've already come across this idea. You know, the temptation is to kind of fold your hands and to, to be idle. And he says, don't. Sow in the morning. Sow in the evening. Invest in life both times, all the time. Invest vigorously, vigorously. Work hard. He said to us earlier, everything your hand finds to do, do it well. Have a go, you mug, as the Aussies used to say. And we have another saying, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Have a go. Don't just look to the wind and, and, you know, don't let the fear of failure stop you from trying things. That's what he's trying to say. Don't be gripped by the, the uncertainty of life and the unknowns of life. Yes, they're there, but don't let that cause you to be afraid of failing and so not doing something. Have a go. And the opposite danger is to buy into the illusion that you can always do things that will succeed. And so you're waiting for the right time, for the stars to align, for the right season, for everything to fit, for for life to be something so predictable that you know, okay, now when I do this, I am going to succeed. It's an illusion. So just get in there and live life. Have a go. Do something is what he would say. And that doesn't mean just randomly, but do something in God. Step out in faith, embrace the risk, and live life well. The best example of this is Peter in the Gospels when Jesus calls him to walk on water. That wasn't a good day to try that, right? It's in the middle of a storm. There's waves crashing. You'd think that you'd go, you know what, Jesus, maybe there's a better day for me to try this. I want to. I really want to step out of the boat, but maybe we can find a calm day. But the the writer says here, verse 4, if you watch for the wind, you won't plant. If you look to the clouds, you won't reap. But Peter says, Jesus, you've told me to come. And you know, circumstances, they're not great, but I'm going to step out of the boat. I'm going to risk. I'm going to embrace the risk. Why? Because I know it's you that's calling me. And I know that you are with me. And I know that if I go down, you're going to be there to hold me and pick me up again. That's why you can embrace life and the uncertainty of it. The second thing that he tells us life is about is that it's a vapor. Life is a vapor. And we've come across this theme over and over again. And here we come to the last times these words are mentioned, meaningless. Verse 8, everything to come is meaningless. Verse 10, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Verse 8 of chapter 12, we have the repeat of what he said right at the beginning in chapter 1. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. And we've talked about how that, the word is better translated a vapor or a mist or fleeting. Life is fleeting. So begin early is what he's saying here. Or, or start well because it is fleeting. Uh, Kohelet, his focus is mainly on the young. And he has a lot of w- wisdom to say to the young. And he says this, light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. Verse 7, verse 8, how many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness for there will be many and everything to come is fleeting. And then verse 9, he's now targeting directly at young people. He says, you who are young, be happy while you are young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes is. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. 
So banish anxiety from your heart. Cast off the troubles of your body. For youth and vigor are fleeting. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come. For the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Yes, life is fleeting. It's brief. It's a vapor that's gone like that. Youth is even more of a smaller, narrower window. What are you doing with your youth? I'm, I'm talking to the young people particularly, but for all of us here. But the youth specifically, you're, you're, you're still young. You're starting off in life. And Kohelet will say, what are you doing with this fleeting season that you have? You can do one of two things. You can kind of sit back and wait till you're older, till you've finished something, till you're, you're married, till you have a house, till you have a car, till you have the next thing, till the wind is controllable, till the rains and the, and the environment and the circumstances are right. You can keep waiting and waiting and deferring and deferring and putting off and putting off. And that day never comes. And before you know it, the dark days have come. Before you know it, the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them. The days of trouble have come and you've missed an opportunity. Or you can throw yourself fully into this moment, into this season, thanking God for the unique opportunity you have, for the vigor that's there and your youthfulness that's there that will push you out of the comfort zone that older people would not want to dare try because they know that it would probably do serious damage to them. But because you're young and you're healthy and you're strong and you're, you're still, you know, um, uh, able to hope and dream and believe, you, you, you're not, you haven't been broken and hurt and negative and bitter and cynical. And not that I'm saying older people are like that, but in your youthfulness, there is hope and there is vision and there is expectation. And you can believe that God can do anything. What are you doing with that? You see, because... In chapter 12, he goes on to say that getting old is not pleasant. It's, and he, and he uses some really vivid metaphors. And again, people have debated as to how to interpret these. Either they are metaphors for the body just degenerating and ending up in dust. And so, you know, he says, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, that's a metaphor for hands and legs. When the grinders cease because they are few, that's your teeth. When those looking through the windows grow dim, that's your eyes. When the doors to the street are closed, that's when you don't really want to go out anymore and the sound of grinding fades. And when the people rise up at the sound of the birds, so you are an early riser now because your bladder doesn't let you sleep in, but all their songs grow faint, your hearing starts to go. When people are afraid of heights and the dangers in the street, like that's either a vivid metaphor for old age, which is miserable and depressing and sad. And then it goes on. Then people go to the eternal home and mourners go by the street. That's your funeral. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken. That's death. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. Death again. And dust returns to the ground it came from. The, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. That's uncreation where we go back to the dust. And in every funeral you hear, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. He's saying before that, before those days come, and they will come, they're guaranteed and sure, they will come. You can live differently. What will you do with your youth? How will you spend it? And again, he gives three pieces of advice. One, he says, rejoice. 
And it's a theme we've come up with over and over again. He says, let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Verse 9, enjoy life. It's, it's a, I know it's a miserable, broken world that we live in, but it's God's good world still. Look for the goodness in God's world and rejoice in that. Let your heart delight in the many, many good things in our world. You know, one of the saddest things is seeing young people who, who've just given up on life already. The, the, the huge amount of youth suicide stat, statistics is heartbreaking because young people have lost a vision of the goodness of our God and in the world. But Kohelet says, rejoice in the world. Look and be grateful for all the good things that are in our world. The second thing he says is reject. Reject anxiety from your heart. Cast off the troubles of your body. He's saying, don't buy into the illusions of the world that says, you know what? With, with wealth and with uh, education and accumulation of knowledge and wisdom, with success, you can actually control the wind. You can control your life. You can control your destiny. You can control your future. Don't buy into the illusion because all that will lead you to is frustration and disappointment and chasing after the wind. It's empty. There's nothing there if you buy into that. If you buy into the idea of accumulating more wealth and power and doing all of these things to try and grab life, you're only going to find emptiness. You're only going to find anxiety for your heart and troubles for your body. So don't make those decisions. For older people, they're living as a result of the, the decisions they made when they were younger. They're, they're now reaping the fruit of what they've sown when they were younger, but you're still sowing. Sow different seed. And so the last piece of advice he gives is remember your creator. Sow to something different. Don't you know, be conformed, as Romans 12 says, to the, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's an opportunity you have as a young person to think and live differently in the world by putting God at the very center. Now, remember your creator doesn't just mean think about him. It is to acknowledge him with reverence so that you want to obey him. That's what the word means. To put him at the very center of your life. To honor him in everything you do because you're young, because you have so much ahead for you. Now, I let you define how young is young. But you know, one of the things that I'm coming to terms with is that I came to mountain biking so late in life. I see when I go out on these trails, I see kids and I see young people and I see the way they ride. And I'm going, they have no fear. They're, they're, I mean, it's just inspiring. And I just stand there going, yeah, no, if I did that, I'd, I'd probably kill myself. And I'm going to take about 100 times longer to heal from killing myself than they would. But what I am thankful for is many of the things that God, by his grace, enabled me to do when I was young. I learned how to serve in church when I was young. And so... I'm still doing it because that's what I've always known. I learned how to prioritize reading the Bible and praying. And it's just become part of my life. I can't imagine not doing it. But that didn't start when I became a pastor. That started when I was a teenager. I had the opportunity to be on mission trips when I was a young person. I went to Malaysia on a band to play and we traveled all over Malaysia and it gave me an insight to what God was doing in the world. So many formative experiences that I was able to 
appreciate and, and experience as a young person that solidified certain things. You see, for, for you young people, the clay is still soft. It's not set. So what are you sowing in that soil? What decisions and choices are you making? Are you putting God at the very center of it? Because there will come days when you won't have all of the options and all of the opportunities available to you. Now is that moment, Kohelet says. It's fleeting. Your life is fleeting. Youth is fleeting. What are you doing with it right now? Because in a moment, it'll be gone. You'll be stooped over and you'll be heading to the grim reality that awaits us all, death. The the next thing that he tells us is that life is a school. Life is a school. Learn from it. Learn from life. In verse 9 of chapter 12, he says this, not only was this, so this is now the author speaking, and he's commending the, the teacher's, Kohelet's work and his research and his words. He says, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by, given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. He's saying life has a lot to teach you if we're just willing to learn. And these words of Kohelet, these words of God, the, the shepherd, the one great shepherd, God's word that has been given to us is like a goad. It's like, it's like this stick that the shepherd uses to, to prod and provoke and, and direct and bring the sheep into line. That's the image, a staff, if you like, of correction, of warning. So the question is, will we heed the warnings of Scripture? Will we listen to the testimony and the witness of those who've gone before? Are we spending time in God's word? Are we letting the scriptures search us? Or are we buying into the illusion that more knowledge in our head is actually going to make our life better? We're so busy studying the word of God that we don't let the word of God study us. The moment we feel the prick and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we we close it and we go, oh, that was a bit intense. But that's the point. It's meant to be a goad. It's meant to be like a a, a nail that pricks you and provokes you and challenges you. It's meant to take the truth of God's word and wisdom from your head to your heart because that's the point, that your heart will be transformed, not your head being educated. Are you learning from God's word? Are you learning from the witness of scripture? Because the, the author here tells us, look, more books is not what you need. Pursuing wisdom and knowledge for, as an end in itself, for its own sake, is a wasted pursuit. He's told us that over and over again. But when we allow God's word and the wisdom of others to speak into our heart, to transform our heart, to shift something within us, that's when we'll see the reward from life being a school. And so we're thankful to God for his word. We're thankful for the witness of those who've gone before. We thank you for their stories and their testimonies and their experience of God. We're thankful for God giving us the Holy Spirit that Jesus poured out, who was was meant to lead us into all truth. Are we listening to him? 
We're thankful to God for putting us in community where we can learn from each other, provoke each other in love, challenge each other, speak the truth in love to one another, where the older generation can instruct the younger generation, where the younger generation can teach the older generation about faith and vitality and vigor and taking risks and all of these things we're talking about, where we learn from each other, we encourage one another, we hold each other accountable, we challenge one another to grow in Jesus these resources that God's given us by his grace, are we, are we leveraging them and making the most of them? Parents, what are you doing to instruct your kids? They need you. Yes, they have a lot of information on the internet, but not a lot of wisdom. They need your stories. They need your testimony. They need your witness. They need you to give them a sense of God's bigger story, that the world is good and God is good and he's faithful and and we're broken because of our sin. But God in his love sent Jesus to reconcile us to him and to make the world ultimately perfect when Jesus comes. But they need the bigger narrative. They need to understand the place of community and God calling us to live together, not this individualism that so often grips our culture. They, they need that. They need you. And young people, I, I know you think that your parents are outdated and old and fuddy-duddy. Some of them are. I am. I don't know all the latest lingo, and when I try and say it and try to look cool, I look like a bigger goose than ever. But they've got stuff to teach you, their own story their own experience of God and how he's worked in their life and his faithfulness and the testimonies that they can give you that takes you out of your little bubble and shows you that the world is much bigger than you realize. They've seen things and been places and met people and experienced things that you haven't yet. And those things can set you up well as you begin live this vapor life, to live it better and differently and pursue things that really matter in life. How to put God first in everything you're doing, in your education, in your work, in your saving, in all of the dreams and the hopes and the aspirations you have, how to put God in the middle of it. Make him the number one priority. Life is a school. Lastly, life is a choice. It's a choice and this is, the pointy end. This is the end game. He says, verse 13, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. This is the end point it's all been moving to. And it's nothing new in one sense. It's stuff we've seen over and over again throughout the book. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Why? For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing whether it is good or evil. So that's really what life is all about. That's a choice that you and I have. And so young people, lest you walk away thinking, oh, I I can do whatever I want. I can pursue the way of my heart, whatever my eye sees. That's what the teacher says in verse nine. I can do whatever. No, he's saying, because the very next verse is, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. There is a qualification there. We're supposed to do this, pursue the desires of our heart and whatever our eye sees under God. This is not, an, uh, this is not a license to, for hedonism, to just live and party hard and live wild because your heart wants to do that. But interestingly, one commentator just flips it around and says, you know, there's another way to interpret Verse 9, part B, know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. It's also to say, if you don't live this way, God will judge you for a wasted life as well. 
end of the day is we're accountable. That's the point. In spite of the brokenness of our world, it's still a moral world. There is right and there is wrong, even though our society tells you, no, there isn't. God, who created life and the world and the universe, says there is. And he will hold us accountable. So it's a choice that each of us have of how we're going to live this life that we will have to be stewards of and give an account for. I remind you of the parable of the, the servants with the tenants. Sorry, the, with the talents, with the bags of gold. And Jesus gave, you know, says that the master gave five to one and three to one and one to the other. And two things from that. One is that each of them had to give an account for what they did with what they were given. That's kind of what the teacher is saying here. Our life is a choice. What we do with it, we will give an account for to the one who gave it to us as a gift. But the second thing is that the, the, one, the one with the one, he, he does nothing with his life, as it were. He buries it because of fear. The fear of failure or the fear of something else. But he didn't do anything with it. It is that servant that is rebuked. We will give an account. We will be judged for every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And so if you're here and you're not yet a Christian or you're watching online or you're outside, wherever you are, I want to challenge you in this moment. Make the most of this opportunity right now to make a decision of how you're going to live the rest of your life. doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. As the teacher has reminded us, as long as we're alive, there's hope. Better is a living dog than a dead lion. There's hope for you to make a different choice. It doesn't matter how you start. It doesn't matter what your life's been like. It doesn't matter the hand that you were dealt. Today, you can make the decision to put Jesus at the very center of your life so that you don't need to fear standing before God's judgment. You can stand before God in confidence because Jesus represents you. He stands for you because he's the, the good shepherd that the Bible says came to lay down his life for you and me, to forgive us of our sin, to make us right with God so we never have to fear the judgment of God. And if we will trust him and the work that he did on the cross for us when he died and when he rose again, God will give us forgiveness and pardon and restore us in our relationship with him. And you will never need to fear that day. But even more, having Jesus at the very center of your life gives your life meaning and purpose. It'll give you something bigger than yourself to live for that will make a difference in the world. And if you're at that point in your life when you're questioning the, the point of life and, and the meaninglessness of life, or you're thinking that life has, has dealt you a hard blow and you want to quit on life and give up on your life, I want to say to you, turn to Jesus. Put your life in His hands and you will be amazed what He will do with your life. Don't leave this place. Don't switch off being online without reaching out to us and and, and connecting with us so that we can pray with you and introduce you to Jesus so that he can be your Lord and Savior. But if you're a Christian here and you've, you've made the decision to follow Jesus, if you're a young person here, I want to ask you, how are you living your life? Is it with Jesus at the center? Are there things that are holding you back from going all in? What is that? What's holding you back? What's stopping you from devoting your whole life to Jesus, wholeheartedly, all in? Is he really the Lord of all? Because the saying goes, if he's not, then he's not Lord at all. There is only one way to be a Christian. And this might be terrifying and scary for you to hear, but it's Jesus' words. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow. There is no other way. Church attendance, even regular church attendance, Bible reading, none of that makes you a disciple of Jesus. 
What makes you a disciple of Jesus is dying to yourself and laying it all down and picking up Jesus' cross and following him as the Lord of your life. Jesus is not just your savior. He's also your Lord. And my question to us is, have we bowed the knee to him and said, yes, Lord, you have all of me. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes, and just take a moment to reflect on that. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.